God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're in the part of the book where we finish page 68 on fear. And I think I put that up last night on the site, so we're up to date. And I want to thank Lau again for uh, helping uh, uh, put them up, and then I uh, edit it and put it out on the site. This, uh, what we're doing now is part of the fear inventory. People get confused because it says the second step proposition, but I'm going to call it the second step proposition fear exercise because this is part of the fear inventory and I go through this with people when we're doing our fourth step and it's 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 helped me it's changed my life I remember the first time I listened to it was uh, years ago this is from 2001 uh, fellowship of the spirit by Dave Fredrickson and Mark Houston you can find it on XA speakers I actually printed out the whole thing. You could print out the whole PDF. Patty did it one time. I've used parts of it for this meeting through the last 16 years. Uh, this exercise has helped me a lot. And every time I go through it, I get something. And if you're sponsoring and you haven't done this before, you might look at this and see if it's something you want to do and go through with your sponsees. Um, it, and so it says the second step proposition exercise, it's a specific spiritual exercise. So this is where we're gonna do an exercise to help us connect to God. Why do I need to be connected to God? Because he has the only power for me not to drink. And he has the only power for me to have a manageable life. And he has the only power to change the way I see things. And why do I need to see things differently? Because I see I'm wrong. And this exercise is one of those areas in my life where I see things in the future and I start to get fear about them and they don't even exist. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. I spent my whole life doing it. And it was just part of the water I swam in. And then uh, when you have fear, you tend to get resentments. Anybody ever do that? Get irritated, angry? So they're, they're, uh, this whole thing is together. And it showed me a whole new way of looking at things. And it's interested in attaining a new level in the fourth dimension of existence. Now, I remember the fifth dimension. Uh, that was a band, I think, when I was younger. I'm old. Uh, the fourth dimension, I think, is is the real world where God is. And the whole purpose of this exercise is to have a new experience and discover that which has been blocking us off from God. Now it says, where does it say that in the big book? Does anybody remember? On page 64, after it says the third step is really good. It's vital and crucial, but it won't have any permanent effect unless we face and be rid of the things that are blocking us. Now, they don't say from God, but that's what they mean. And the fourth step is really just looking in my mind at the things that are blocking me from God. If I'm in fear, God can't direct my life, can he? 
if I'm angry or upset, God can't direct my life. Is that true? Yes. And so we want to look at, discover the areas in our lives that have been blocking us off from God. Hey, Jeremy, it's good to see you, buddy. Good. In this ex and so in this exercise, I'm going to identify the areas of my life where my ego is still trying to get away with control. Anybody have that problem? The ego is always there. And I have to say, I'm not going to pay attention to you. I'm just not going to pay attention to you. And the ego, you could call it Satan, ego, whatever you want to call it, is still trying to get away with control through self-will, justification, and delusion. And I had delusions, which are thoughts that don't have any reality. Uh, the delusion that I could manage well, my life would be okay. If I could manage my life, my wife, my marriage would be better. <laughs> Pretty funny. Uh, justification. Um, I can't stop doing it, though. She said she's going to have salad for lunch. So I said, well, make sure you check and see which one is going to expire soonest. I couldn't help myself. And then I said, you know, why am I telling her that? She, you know, that's so silly. I couldn't help myself. All right, people probably turned off the podcast, all right? <laughs> Self-will, justification. Anybody justify their, their actions? Stu thought it was a great idea, right, Stu? Yeah, I, I've, I've driven that highway before. I could have a few beers, you know? Uh, this exercise should provide each of us with tools and directions on how to get back onto the spiritual beam. Now, the spiritual beam is where I'm with God, I'm at one with God, He has power, I'm in fit spiritual condition. And what happens is we fall off the beam all the time. Anybody else do that? But in the 10th and 11th step are tools to get back on the beam quickly. Now, if I fall off the beam and I'm still pretty close to the beam, I got a shot. But if I fall off the beam and I drift into the other room, I'm getting very far away from God. It's very hard to get back on the beam. So what we learn in 10 and 11 is how when we fall off, we don't feel good. We get irritable, restless, discontented. I have fear. I'm angry. I'm making bad decisions. Get back on the beam. Now, for me, I'm off the beam when I'm irritated, when I'm disturbed at all. And I have to get back on the beam. And the only way I can do that is to ask God to get me back on the beam with you. And that's what... These, the, the steps four through nine are designed to get us on the beam. And then 10, 11 is to keep us as close to the beam or on the beam as long as possible each day. And each day when we start out, we hopefully we say our prayers were on the beam. And then that won't last long. We, ha we get off the beam and we have to get back and on and off all day long. But that, I didn't know how to do that when I came in here and I didn't even know that getting off the beam was bad. You know, and then when I'm off the beam, it's my fault. Everything that happens in my life, all my decisions, are, it's not their fault. They don't get me off the beam, I do. It's designed to guide us through the areas of our lives that need the immediate focus of God's love. So this is an exercise that you, you know, no matter how long you're sober, you, you can use this. And so it's, it's if, if you're having a fear, or something's disturbing you, that area of your life in which you're having the fear disturbed, that needs the immediate focus of God's love. So you're not. And 
uh, gives us specifics of our prayers and provides us a vision for our lives yeah. towards which we need to move. And so let's say you're worried about uh, money. Anybody ever do that? So, uh, and you have fear of money, not having enough money. Well, you could give that to God right away and say, God, I have fear of money. I'm going to give this to you. Direct my attention to how I should be. Spend less. Get a job. You get it? Uh, be trust in me, but give it to God and have God manage that. And that's why I talked about the God's box. Any area of my life that I'm worried about, I put in the God's box and I say the prayers. And I don't have to do it very often because I say the prayers right away. Usually the fears will go away, except maybe like Sunday, I'm a little nervous about the game, but Mark's going to help me with that. Uh, on page 53-2 of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous were given the second step question, which is really, uh, there are two questions in the book. What do I need to do? And what do I, and this question, when I became an alcoholic, and they tell you what you need to do, uh, what do I need to do? And it says we're going to answer that question specifically. It's page 20. And we're going to give you, tell you specifically what we did. So if you want to be recovered from alcoholism, they will tell you specifically what they did. And if you do what they did, you'll have what they have. Now, if you do what I think I need they did or what I think I need to do, I'm just going to get the same result. And so that's why I find the book so helpful. And this is the second step proposition on page 52. It says, when I became an alcoholic, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade and and i can still remember my self-imposed crisis and i got there myself and i could not postpone or evade it anymore so i had to fearlessly face the question either god is everything or else he is nothing either he is or he isn't what is my choice to be and i remember getting down on my knees and saying god help me i know i was crushed and i and I had decided that God was the only one that could help me out of this. I couldn't do it anymore. I was completely defeated, surrendered. And that's the question I need to ask myself every day. Is God everything or nothing? When I'm worrying about something, well, God's nothing. I'm everything. And when I'm disturbed by somebody, God's nothing. I'm everything. How's that working for me? Not well at all. So I use this all the time, and I do it I hope pretty quickly now so I don't get states very long in fear or anger or disturbed. What is our choice to be? And that's the key. That's the key with everything in our, in our AA program. God is everything, is nothing. Who's, who's running my life? What's my choice at the moment? Am I back in self? How'd that work for you? Does it work? Or I'm with God? For most of us, intellectually, we said God is everything and move on to step three. And in step three, we make this decision that God's going to run our lives. Anybody do that? Anybody work with someone who's done that? And then they, they, don't, they don't do anything else. They just drag their feet. So they must think they have a power to live. They must think that this really isn't essential. 
But we have to make that, it says, but the real alcoholic has to make the decision deep down within at the gut level of concession. I have to fully concede to many of myself that I'm an alcoholic. And if I do, that's the first step in recovery. If I do that, then I know that I have no power over alcohol. I have to give it up completely. And I have to say, make the same decision, God is everything, at the gut level. I, I know that must be true somewhat for me because I pray as soon as I wake up. Before I'm out of bed, I say prayers to God. So I must think that I need God. I say this prayer before the meeting when I open up about, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Why do I say that? Because I have to have humility. I have to understand I need God. I can never manage my life on my own without God. And, and, and that humility is essential, that's talked about in the New Testament, is essential, I think, for us to work the steps and to continue to do it the rest of our lives. And we get humble by the decision, but, but we get humbled by our alcoholism. We don't consciously say, oh, I'm humbled. No, it was pain. It's pretty painful. Anybody have a painful, painful humbling? And it's good. That's a gift. We talk about the gift of grace, the gift of, uh, of surrendering, the gift of desperation. That comes from God. It's a gift, that pain. We don't see it as that. But it really is a gift because it drives us to do the rest. Now, what happens with alcoholism, it's a very bad disease because it can drive you to do the rest, and then you forget it pretty quickly. And you say, it wasn't that bad, or I don't need to do all this right now. And, this, and then that's it. You're back, before you know it, you're drinking or using or whatever, but you're back itself. So it has to be the same gut level, this concession, God is everything, to, uh, where we finally had to admit defeat with respect to our alcoholism. He says, for the real alcoholic, the longest distance in the world could be from the head to the heart. This is not an intellectual program. In fact, I think the smarter you are, the harder it is. You think too much. Uh, it was for me, and I realized I don't want to think anymore. That's why I say I think the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop thinking. Because SHIT, simply how I think, is my problem. My thinking was wrong. I tell people when they're new, everything you think is wrong, and they look at me, oh, I can't listen to this guy. I'm getting out of here. Well, but actually when you look at it, it's true. All my resentments were wrong, <laughs> all my fears were wrong, and I made a lot of bad decisions uh, with wrong thinking. A mental decision of this magnitude won't cut it for us because it won't give us the, it won't give us the concession at the innermost self that will drive us to do the rest of the work. We have to admit this concession at a defense level for it to offer us the humility. That's what I was talking about, the humility and the amount we require to achieve success with serenity and to live a happy and useful whole life. And we have to stay humble all the time and admit I need God. And the steps help me see that during the day, when I go through the day, if I'm disturbed at all, hello, it's me. I got to be humbled enough to say, okay, Michael, let's get back to God. And when I do that, that's the beginning of peace. 
then I feel peace. God starts to work in me. Since most of us blow right past the second step proposition, God is everything or is nothing, we hit step three still operating with our minds. Now remember, the alcoholic alone is in a dangerous place. Why? Because he's with his mind. Therefore, we concede to step three only in our mind as well. Remember, where does it say our problem resides? In our minds. Usually and only with respect to our drinking. So we take step three, we want God to direct our lives, we say that, and we want to, we want to stop drinking. And we agree in our mind's eye to have a new director and to let God tell us what we should do. Sounds good, doesn't it? Have you ever heard, I gave it up and I took it back, and I gave it up and took it back? You hear people talk like that. And I know what they mean, and they're not bad or anything, but they don't understand. You either give it up and give it up, or else you don't give it up. And if you give it up, you have to have these tools to help you continue to give it up all the time. Because we give it up and then we don't have any tools, so we manage our lives. And then we, we have to say, well, that didn't work, I'm gonna give it up. But we wanna change that, we wanna break that cycle. We wanna give it up and then do the actions so that we have a relationship with God. And we agree to be God's agent and to let him empower us in the works we do and lastly, we agree that God is going to be our new father. He will provide what we need. Remember, he's going to give me everything I need if I keep close to him and perform his work well. Now, the question is, how do I stay close to him? And how do I do his work well? And that's what the steps 4 through 9 and 10 and 11 are designed to do. Keep me close to God and do his work well. Not Michael's work well or what Michael thinks he needs to do well. And I didn't know how to do that. And like a good father, God will love us unconditionally, and he will provide what we need. If we get out of line, he will correct us back on track gently. Now on page 88, at the end of the section on, on, on what we need to do in the action program of the steps, it tells us this is how God disciplines us. God disciplines me all the time because when I fall off the beam, I don't feel good. And there's a reason for that. That's the way God makes us so we don't feel good and we want to get back to him. Now, some people believe that there's, uh, uh, if you believe a certain way, you get the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is correcting you all the time when you fall off the beam. Um, in AA, we think that there, there's a world of the Spirit, and when we're in the world of the Spirit, God has, will discipline us when we get off the beam. Anybody like to be disturbed anymore? No. We don't like to be angry, do we? No. And I don't like to be afraid. So I have to do this all the time. So with respect to our drinking, AA, our AA life may be somewhat manageable for time. Now remember, if you're sober, you have, you're sober without God, you have no power not to drink and no power to manage your life. 
But when you stop drinking for a while, your life is a lot more manageable because you're not drinking and drunk all the time and doing all those crazy things. Or if you're an addict, you're not using and getting high and in that death cycle. We have surrendered and we have given up and admitted defeat, conceded to our innermost selves that we are powerless and may have actually stopped trying to run the whole show. But in relatively short order, and this is what I've seen, and I probably have done this, the same alcoholic is now sober, only having conceded steps two and three in his mind, can't figure out why he's having trouble in the other areas of his life. Anybody go through that early in recovery? Yeah. And all at the same time, and guess what? If you're having trouble in areas of your life and you're getting irritable, restless, and discontent, and you're getting fearful and angry, what happens? Your mind, your emotions build up and your mind says, I have a treatment for this. You need a drink, Michael. No, I can't drink. You need a drink. And then you can't say no to it, why? Because you don't have God. You don't have a relationship with God. You don't have a power in your life. So it's very important that we get into the action steps and we continue to concede your innermost selves that I can't manage any area of my life. And when I'm managing my air, air, any area of my life, alcohol starts to have power over me. There's a relationship between the two parts of the first step. We admitted we're powerless over alcohol, dash, that our life had become unmanageable. And when I'm managing my life, then alcohol starts to have power over me because it won't go the way I want. My emotions build up and your mind will say, get a drink. Has that happened to anybody in this room? And that's what alcoholism is, untreated alcoholism. It's not that we're bad, we're just managing our lives. We have the wrong manager. So in the beginning, his AA life seems okay, but the rest of his life starts to unravel. He knows he's missed something or he can't figure out what or he can figure out why. And a lot of people don't know why they drink again. You know, you know, they go out and they drink and they don't know why, but really what's happened is they're managing their lives and their emotions build up and they go to the liquor store. It's, it's, it's almost automatic. They can't even see it. And that's not good or bad. It's just that's the way it happens. So it says we've missed two major points and I'm just going to do these next two paragraphs and then I'll shut up. It says, first, we have only conceded in our mind, and we've let our ego unchecked so it can rebuild. And remember, alcohol is cunning, powerful, right? It's cunning and baffling and powerful because it's our ego. Our ego gives us, makes that liquid have power over us. It's just a liquid in a bottle. How can a liquid in a bottle control my life? But it's, it's my ego running my life, and then alcohol comes in the picture. So where does the big book tell us the problem of the real alcoholic resides? Page 23. The main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind. So conceding only in my mind doesn't work. Because as alcoholics, we are masters of delusion. That's why you can't do your four-step on your own. <laughs> that's why you have to write it all out. And you have to have someone help you. And that's why I say everything I thought was wrong. It was all delusion. And it says, they, 
cannot, after a, diff a time, differentiate the truth from the false, and that's in doctor's opinion. And we've, some of us, Brian likes that line, I like that line, because I couldn't see the truth from the false, because I lived in a world of delusion. I couldn't see the truth about my thinking, and I couldn't see the truth about alcohol, and I couldn't see that I had managed my life and made a complete mess of it. As alcoholics, we lie to ourselves better than anyone else. Anybody agree with that? And unfortunately, we believe our own lives. Everything, when I came in here, I thought was true. I had a list of people that had really harmed me, and you know that's why I was here. And you know, boy, if you lived with them or had them in your life, you would have drank too. But you, the truth was that I owed, that, owed them amends, and I was seeing everything wrong. Remember, why do we lie to ourselves so we don't have to see the truth? of ourselves, and why do we blame other people so we don't have to look at ourselves? So, and this is a really good paragraph. It sounds complicated, but it's pretty simple. Secondly, our history books tells us of the danger of the alcoholic ego and how it rebuilds if left unchecked, and it rebuilds quickly. Does anybody agree with that? I've had people come in here crying, miserable, this and that, and then before they leave, I say, well, please come back, come back on Wednesday. Well, I, I can't, I have to watch Big Bang. You see it? They're, or, or they'll come, I say call me every day. And say I'm pretty busy. You know, I'm a busy person. I can't, I'll call you every other day or so. You see, it just rebuilds so quickly. I had one guy pound the book. He said, I don't have time for Michael's world. I said, okay, <laughs> I'm really busy. I said, okay, and I'm thinking to myself, well, your wife let you, left you, you're living alone, uh, you're having problems at work in every area of your life, that's okay. I said, well, call me when you have time. But, you know, I wasn't upset, I just felt really sad, and I went home and did pray for him. I mean, it's hard to surrender, it's hard for me. But I still have to remember to do it. That's why it's important to have people to call when you start getting crap in your head. You can call somebody. And, and, and then when you tell them the crap, it, it, seems, it sounds so ridiculous. So you're not thinking about it, you're letting go of it. And you're admitting you need help. So this is Henry Thiebaud. He was one of the founders of AA. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he started going to AA meetings in 1939 before the book came out. And he was very interested as a, as a doctor and a psychiatrist on how they had found a way not to drink, because in his opinion, there was no way alcoholics could ever stop drinking. So he writes, doctor, that the so-called typical alcoholic is a narcissistic, egocentric core. Now, I want to tell you that's not something to be proud of. It's not something to go like on Christmas and announce to the family that I have a narcissistic, egocentric core. And you know what? You see people in the news who have narcissistic, egocentric cores, and it doesn't look pretty. But we have it, and there's, there's no treatment that I know of, I've looked it up, for narcissistic, egocentric personality disorder. It's not, it's not treatable with any medicine or therapy. It's, it's very hard to treat, we have that. And we have dominated by feelings of omnipotence. Remember, I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. And I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. 
And when I did my steps, I realized I had excessive self-centered pride to protect me because I had low self-esteem. So I was always watching to see who wasn't treating me right because I didn't feel good enough about myself. And now I realize I don't have to worry about that. As long as I'm doing God's will and he loves me, that's what's important. And I ask God to forgive me if I get out of line. Inwardly, the alcoholic brooks no control from man or God. You've heard, I don't want to hear about God. Have you ever heard that? He, the alcoholic, accepts the presence of a power greater than himself if the alcoholic, oh, he, the alcoholic, is and must be master of his own destiny. He will fight to the end to preserve that position. That's why we die. That's why people don't want to do the fourth step. That's why people don't follow directions. They want to be in charge. And the thing I tell them is, if your directions haven't worked, try the directions in the book. Give it a shot. And I'll tell them, if you do it, it'll work. And people here will tell you it'll work. But to get them to see that, it's, they got that narcissistic, egocentric core. If the alcoholic can truly accept the presence of a power greater than himself, and, and I thought this was a key, and I've thought about it, if I truly accept the presence of a power greater than myself, just by that step, I modify at least temporarily and possibly permanently in my deepest inner structure because I'm admitting that I don't not in charge anymore. I can't do it. Just the, just the ability to admit that. That's why coming to AA is such a gift. Most alcoholics never get to AA. And the ones who get here, it's a gift. And just coming here, they know they need some help. And it's modified uh, that that, and, then, and then possibly permanently my deepest inner structure. When he does so, now when I do so without resentment or struggle, then I'm no longer typically alcoholic. If I've accepted that God exists and God can help me, and I know I need his help, then I've changed my inner structure. And I'm, if I know it deepest in my innermost core, I'm no longer a typical alcoholic. Now it takes a lot of pain <laughs> to get there. And, and it takes a long time to get there. I, I wish I'd gotten there years before. But we get there when we get there. And the strange thing, and this is really important, is that if the alcoholic can sustain that inner feeling of acceptance, that he can't run the show, God's in charge, he can and will remain sober for the rest of his life. And I believe that's true. But it's going to take work. Now next time we're going to pick up and we're going to look at how we use this, uh, um, how we use this to deal with fear. It may take us two more sessions. I hope this was helpful. Uh, you've got the handout, and if you're coming Wednesday, if you could bring it back. I know we're alcoholics in here, but if you could remember that, that would be great. That was a joke. Thank you. <laughs>